how can you not be in marketing and not have heard Gary Vee say a million times, document, don't create. So I was like, well, this is going to be interesting. Plus, like, we move there and then a global pandemic happens. So I'm like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm in a nudist colony during lockdown. Like, wow. Obviously, I have to document this and write about it. Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am your host, Tracy Otsuka. You know that my purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. And in the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one, not one, that wasn't truly brilliant at something. So for all of these reasons, I am just delighted to introduce you to my guest, Mandy Zelenka. I want to tell you a bit of a backstory. So I met Mandy about six years ago in a women's marketing mastermind on, I think it was Facebook and Zoom. And this was well before my ADHD career had taken hold, but after I was diagnosed. So I talked about ADHD all the time. And Mandy didn't need to tell me she also had ADHD. All I had to do was watch her. It was clear to me that among all the brilliant women in marketing that I met, she was light years ahead of all of us. Granted, when I met her, she was the owner of the Zelenka Agency, which offered digital marketing and courses to hairstylists. And I was in absolute awe of how quickly she built courses, programs, memberships, anything that a digital marketer could want. And it was always beautiful, modern, and it had this Mandy brand of quirky. What would take me a month to put together, Mandy would literally do, I want to say a day, but probably an hour. And this was because she had also been the former digital marketing manager for Kevin Murphy International. And she had owned one of the largest salons in Portland, where she'd been voted the best hairstylist at the Portland Fashion and Style Awards. She did things like hunt down both Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos' protégés when she wanted to learn how to code because... Every stylist should know how to code, right? Mandy was successful in every definition of the word, but money and prestige, that just wasn't enough for her. So she proceeded to ditch it all and run off with her mayor. Yeah, she ended up marrying him. I think it was her third marriage. And then she tobogganed down the Great Wall of China, just like Beyonce, as a United States diplomat and first lady of a city. So you can imagine once Mandy got back to Seattle, she grew pretty bored. So she convinced her mayor husband to run off to a nudist colony where they lived in a tiny RV. And I saw it. It's tiny in the Issaquah Alps. Their three year experience in this nudist colony was so unhinged that Mandy began documenting it. Doesn't this sound like someone with ADHD? Before she knew it, she had a real live documentary. So Mandy and the mayor then started submitting Escape from Tiger Mountain Family Nudist Park to film festivals where it got noticed. She won Film Fest Awards at Indie Movie Spark in Amsterdam, Indie X Film Fest in Los Angeles, 
Cult Critic Movie Awards in India, the Keys Film Festival in Berlin, the Mindfield Film, Film Festival in Albuquerque, among others. Before she knew it, Mandy Zelenka was an award-winning documentarian living in Los Angeles. Mandy, welcome. And did I get all of that right? Oh, my God. It took me everything to not giggle through that whole intro. That was amazing. <laughs> you could giggle. You could giggle. It's just so ADHD because it's friggin' all over the place. And there's so much, right? <laughs> yeah. And it never stops, right? <laughs> yeah. So before we talk about anything related to the documentary, I want to talk about your ADHD first. So can you tell me what were the circumstances around this ADHD diagnosis? So my grandfather would give me $20 for every home run I hit. And he stormed the beaches of Normandy in the war and was a total badass. And he was my biggest cheerleader. My other grandfather was a German who never became a citizen and always believed in me to the point that he lent me the money I needed to buy my salon. And it was these two guys that had me believing I could do anything I put my mind to, no matter how much my ADHD was trying to derail me. <laughs> the only reason I got good grades in school was because in order to play sports, you had to have above a 3.0 GPA. And in order to not get beat by my German mother... I had to come home with nothing less than a 3.5 GPA. So, you know, the immigrant genes were really thick on the German side of my family, which I'm sure you can relate to, Tracy. I can. <laughs> so if you ask me why I never knew I had ADHD, it was because I had a helicopter stage mom that kept me really busy. She was a real Kris Jenner. <laughs> And I had sports. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then I went to a magnet school for high school that was full of talented neurodivergent people. It's so hard to say that word. <laughs> and it's when I got to college that I completely fell on my ass. I was supposed to play softball. I had a full ride scholarship and I didn't even make it to softball season. I was so bored and uninspired by the small Christian college that I was at that I stopped getting out of bed except to go to work at the bakery at the airport because... I mean, it was super fun. It was before 9-11. Um, guys that were working at the airport would take me on dates where, where we would go on the tarmac and they just drive me around. It was like, it was fun, right? So I dropped out of college, ended up in the salon industry, which again was full of really talented neurodivergent. Okay, wait, hold on a second. Hold on a second. <laughs> neurodivergent. Hold on. I know I've said it so many times. I don't skip over. I mean, I don't struggle with it anymore, but I used to. So you were this kid who had tons of structure around you, number one, right? Mm -hmm. Number two, you didn't have one person who believed you. You had people who really believed in you. And I don't know, did your mom believe in you too? My mom always told me you can do anything you put your mind to. And I don't recall her ever saying that to my sister. And, you know, she's the one that grew up with the German dad who... He had his own garbage business. I mean, I he was like third generation garbage man. I I think it was a little mob, but my mom tells me it wasn't. Like it, I've written an entire <laughs> book about it. It's so absurd. But yeah, so I had these two completely delusional Eastern European old school men like just cheerleading me the whole way through my life. Yeah. And and what they say is if you just with ADHD, if you have one adult in your life that really believes in you, that is enough to just do so much better than if you have no one in your life who believes in you, right? It just takes one person I and totally it could be a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. So what were you like as a kid? Were you a hellion like you are now? Well, my mom would have you believing that I was, but like, I also got really good grades and I, I did all the things I was supposed to do. And she put me in private school. It, it wasn't an expensive private school because we did not have money growing up. But again, I had a lot of structure. I had, I was always had things to keep me busy. I played year round sports when I got to high school. I also worked on the weekends, you know, when I was little, I was little, church Wednesday nights and Sunday. And like, there's always things going on. So I didn't have a lot of time to get into trouble. Mm. I sure tried. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like school? Did you think you were oh, smart? I hated school. I hated oh, no. School. No. Did you think you were smart, though, Mandy? Or was it because you hated it so much? No, be because you got good grades, right? So you must have thought you were smart. No, my sister got 4.0. 
Oh, and that wasn't good enough. I was not the smart kid. I was the kid mm. that was tenacious. Ah, the hard worker. Well, you know, Germans like that too, right? I'm I'm totally generalizing. <laughs> I love the German people. They're so easy to make fun of, though. I know. I know. But um, it's the trauma. It's the trauma that makes us who we are, the German trauma, right? Yeah. I think you're right. I think it's, yeah, wartime trauma. <laughs> and then guilt, right? Yes. Um, but, you know, now we're seeing, you know, I used to feel so guilty about being half German. And now we see what's going on in this country. And I'm like, it could happen anywhere. You oh, know? Yeah. And, and then, like, my other side is Ukrainian. So I'm like, oh, I didn't know that, Nandy. Yeah, Zelenka. Of course, of course. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, and I'm neurodivergent. And it's just like, oh, my God, I have this Jaguar brain. How do I use it? You know? Okay, so you did really well in, what do they call that? Primary school and secondary school. But then you go to college. You think you're equipped and ready to go, or are you scared to go to college? And you're on a scholarship, right? You're on a sports scholarship. had a full ride. and But it was so not me. It was like putting a square peg in a round hole. There was, I think, 300 students on the entire campus. There was, I think, 1,500 at my high school. It was so small. Um, And I'm sure they all thought you were a weirdo. Oh, totally. And I don't mind being a weirdo, but I don't like sticking out like a sore thumb, you know? I like to be a weirdo with other weirdos. (laughs) Well, I like to be with your own (laughs) so right away was it just like oh crap I am not I I can't do this yeah and I started like ditching classes I stopped getting out of bed and it resulted in me getting a 0.83 grade point average like 0.83 how is that even fucking possible like you literally have to not get out of bed to go to school and I moved back home and you think you were depressed is that why you weren't getting out of bed now I now I see that yeah yeah. But at the time, you know, I had been so, you know, successful up until then that I was just like, what the f-? And then my dad looked at me and he goes, you know, Mandy, you don't have to go to college. And I was like, what? Because I grew up with you have to go to college. You have to go to college. You have to go to college. And, you know, I had this older sister who was always getting really good grades. And when my dad said that. I was like, what? <laughs> Get me the fuck out of here then. College? No, both of my parents were blue collar workers. So, okay. And so that's why, yeah, I'm sure a German immigrant, you know, you're going to go to college because that's the pathway, right? To success and riches. Yep. Okay. So then what happened? I ended up at beauty school. You're so much smarter than anybody I know that's gone to college. <laughs> Sorry, Mandy. <laughs> Thanks, Tracy. Um, I ended up in beauty school because my mom had been a hairdresser. So as a kid, all of her stuff was always laying around, her shears, bleach, blah, blah. And I I cut all of my guy friends' hair in high school. I even did it in college. And so it just seemed natural for me to go do that. I didn't want to go to beauty school, but I didn't really Mm -hmm. have any choice because it was either pay my mom rent or go back to school. So I went to beauty school and I was, and I keep seeing these TikToks now where these people are telling you, pick a profession that's easy to you. I couldn't have picked an easier profession because I had, I was so comfortable with all the tools having played with them, you know, since like a kid. So and you're so creative. I'm sure you were so good at it. I was, but the thing is, I didn't really, I never realized I was creative until I moved to Seattle because there's so many creative people in Portland. Ah, and that's so interesting. Yeah, I I learned so much about, honestly, I learned so much about what makes me cool <laughs> mm-hmm. living in Seattle because it's it's all a bunch of Boeing engineers. Ah, And I'm not saying there's not creative people up there, but not like in Portland or even now where I'm at in, in Venice Beach. I just absolutely love it. But, you know, there's just so many analytical thinkers up there that are, you know, introverted and on their laptop. And so very fish out of water for me. But that's when I realized, oh, I am creative. But so when I ended up in the salon industry, I didn't think I had ADHD because there's so many creative neuro, neuro, Jesus, neurodivergent. Just, just, just call us NDs. Yeah. NDs, non-linears. So when I got to college, I didn't have the luxury of knowing I had ADHD because they didn't test for it when I was little. And as I got older, I heard my mom <laughs> complain about all these drugged up hyperactive kids. So 
when I was thriving in a magnet school in high school as a scholar athlete, when I went from that to being in college, not being able to get out of bed, and I eventually lost my bakery job that I loved. Um, so yeah, I thought I was a total loser. Um, and now I understand where the extreme highs and lows come from after having met you and you introducing the world of ADHD adults to me. I, and just everything made sense. And then I went on this like journey of trying to understand my brain so that I could use it to my advantage instead of it consistently like throwing a wrench in my plans. And now I can make better decisions about what I need to do to be successful. And I, I have, Tracy, I have you to thank for that. Oh. <laughs> I would have well, never known. <laughs> so once you knew it was ADHD, well, actually forget that, that, forget that question. We've already answered it, Nico, um, in spades. So what changed once you discovered, oh my gosh, I have ADHD? You know, I think the most important thing was being able to forgive myself mm. for things I'd done to understand the struggle of what my mom went through trying to parent me because she didn't know. I was just like this kid with so much energy and she did not have the patience for that. And, you know, so she struggled parenting me and and just went with the like, say, as I do parenting. And right. I did so much stupid shit because the impulsivity. And then I think I told you in my email, I was watching a TikTok that was talking about how people with um, ADHD will tend to pick a man that may not, or a partner that may not be good for them because the push pull gives them dopamine hits. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh my God, that, that is my first two marriages. And now, now I joke to myself that I I live with a slice of serotonin. (laughs) Well, you know, and that was one of my questions because I knew about the two marriages. I mean, I just see how you and Jeremy are like literally two peas in a pod. You are so happy. So I'm curious, why is the third one so successful? Like what changed? Well, um, it's the third time is the charm, right? Yeah, right. Well, honestly, after my second divorce, I, I did a shit ton of therapy. (laughs) <laughs> and then I smoked this shit ton of weed and I just sat there and I was like, what the f- did I do wrong? Like, what am I doing wrong? How, how can this change? Which actually ended up leading me to you. But the difference with Jeremy and I, my current partner is that it's very, it was very when Harry met Sally, but Harry and Sally were married to other people. <laughs> oh gosh. So it, was an, it was an accident, you know? Uh-huh. Well, he was the mayor. Yes. And it all started because I wanted better bike lanes for my kids. And because of my experience in the world to that point, I was like, I'm going to go directly to the person that makes the decisions. Like, I'm not going to a PTA meeting. I'm not getting on a board. I'm going straight to the mayor. And I Which think is that's Mandy. Uh, yeah. Right. I mean, now I'm like, that's absurd. Who would do that? Well, I would, because I'm like, I don't have time to waste. I have a kid who's trying to get to school. He likes to bike. I need, I need, I need him to have bike lanes. I don't have time to dick around with this, (laughs) which, you know, most moms are like that. Like, let's get this taken care of for my kid. Right. Yeah. So we ended up becoming really good friends, totally platonic, but both of our significant others were like, um, going on with you too (laughs) and I even I would tell my sister I'm like oh he's just he's my non-sexual lover like he's just my best friend it's all good and then I ended up getting divorced and but not because of him no that's that's a story for a that's a story in my book you gotta buy my book (laughs) for that one and yeah so we found ourselves single and I we went out to dinner uh, lunch one day and he was like ordering my food and it was just easy. And he what first attracted me to him and not in a sexual way, just like I wanted to be around this person more because he's very charismatic. And, and it's which you can buy the book, The Charisma Myth. And I think every neurodivergent person should read that book because it really helps you be more likable. <laughs> but for instance, when he would talk to me, he'd set his phone down and not look at it. 
and give me his full attention. And do you know how mesmerizing that is? I mean, especially today, right? Yeah. I mean, this was 10 years ago. And I was just like, what? How does this person move through life? Because I want to be able to move through life like that. And I knew that if I hung around him more, I would be able to adopt the traits that he has and the things that he does and be able to get things that I wanted done in an, in an easier way. Because I always felt like I was pushing against a wall because, you know, I'm, I've got that stubborn German in me. So, yeah, I mean, and obviously as a politician, he was very trained in being a politician. So I'm like, how, how do I get some of that? (laughs) (laughs) And it has helped me immensely. I mean, you asked me what my three ADHD hacks are. And my main workaround is choosing an equally successful and supportive partner. And it helps that he's good at all the things I suck at and vice versa, because all of the things I did in my life up until the age of 36 were in spite of my partners. And now my success is a, a largely not due to my partner, but I, I wouldn't be aware. I wouldn't be sane if it weren't for you, Tracy and Jeremy. <laughs> no, you know, I'm not sane, but at least feel sane. <laughs> but you're a team, right? And what yes. I always tell, especially young women or women who've, you know, been through a couple marriages is, you know, they'll be complaining and they're dating, right? And everything's wrong. And I'm like, why do you think this difficult relationship is going to get better if you, I'm just going to say, get married, right? It's not, if it's not easy, like so easy at the beginning, it is really rare that all of a sudden it becomes so. And you know, when you're dating, I mean, it's just, you know, all the, what, dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin, Mm -hmm. what's oxytocin? All of that is flying all over the place. It should be so, so easy because life can be difficult at times. And, you know, when you bring kids into the mix, oh my gosh. So yeah, I am so with you. And I love, I love hearing how you describe him. And I love hearing about what it was that attracted you to him that you realize that, okay, well, this is kind of what I'm lacking and he's got this and I like to be around it. So if I had some of that too, then people would like to be around me more as well. Yeah. So I mean, to be yourself, right? You could be Mandy and he loved that about you. Yes. And it was because it was not predicated on a sexual relationship because we were friends. So to, to, to answer your question in the most simplest of ways, you have to be best friends first. Like that dude is my best friend before anything else. I hardly ever call him my husband. When I have to, I call him my partner. I usually call him my dude or like, because it's not natural to me to put a label on him that is that is anything other than being my best friend and my like ride or die and my homie lover friend to, to take, you know, something from the nineties, you know, it's just like, we always have each other's back and we always have, and like we helped each other navigate our divorces, which seriously sounds fucked up, but like, that's what you do with your best friend. Yeah. I mean, I was a hairstylist for years. I was always helping people through stuff. So it, it was just really natural and yeah, it was easy. That's it. It was easy. Easy, easy peasy. <laughs> so you had said something to me about <laughs> that you met with a therapist. I don't know if this was like after the first marriage, second marriage, whatever. And they told you you should look at your life like a staircase. And you realize oh, that yeah. your entire adult life. Well, why don't you tell the story? Well, first of all, I picked my therapist online because she looked pleasant and had a round face. And that sounds crazy again. But I had a client tell me after that, that in Chinese medicine, face shapes, a round face is supposed to be like a comforting, warm and fuzzy type of face. I'm probably destroying this, but um, that is that is so funny. So, yeah. So I, I picked this lady who looks nice with round face and she told me what was up and I appreciate it. She did not dick around. She, she just like, she threw down facts and it was so much easier. Cause you know, I just, I didn't want to be in therapy forever. I was just like, tell me what I'm doing wrong so I can then go make it right. And yeah. So I think the most profound thing that she told me was 
that that life is like a staircase and relationships are like a staircase. And with my relationships, I would go from step one to 10 and I would miss all of the steps in between. And <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm, you know, it's the impulsivity. It's, it's the goal setting, you know, it's just, okay, I got to get this off my list and then move on to the next thing. And a lot of that was based in my religious upbringing. Like I'm, I'm very spiritual, but I'm, I'm not a religious person. And that's why I got married twice because you're not supposed to live in sin. Oh, geez. Oh, yeah, my God. and I was still like so young and it was before like the internet was a big thing. It was before you had a community on TikTok. You know, it was just, you're just kind of in this silo trying to move through life with what your parents gave you, you know? Yeah. So, so basically you were saying, I want to get to know you. So let's get married. Yeah. I'm, I can't, I'm not supposed to live in sin. My mom will get really mad at me. So we should probably like move this along. Wow. <laughs> I can see why that wouldn't work well. Yeah. It's so stupid. Like I look back and I'm like, what was I thinking? Well, you know what? We were given a limited amount of information back in the day, Tracy, you know, like our parents, that was our knowledge and the encyclopedia. Like that was it. And you're right. I love the encyclopedias, by the way. So, yeah, having ADHD helped me forgive myself for all of those things because I'm like, that was so misdirected. <laughs> but it also made you understand why you did it, which allowed you to forgive yourself, right? Yeah. And also, I'm much better at moving through life. I don't, I don't want to do it the hard way. I don't want to learn the hard lessons. I learned them. I have enough stories for a lifetime now. You do. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I want to live the soft coastal grandma life in uh, Venice Beach. So when when she said you're going from step one to step 10, what were all the steps in the middle supposed to be? Was that specifically about who you chose as a partner or was that just in general? Because I think career wise, sometimes that works, right? It's the bold, fearless one who gets out in front of everybody else and lo and behold, makes it work. She was specifically talking about my relationship style. Okay. Okay. So, which is why it took me so long to get married again, which, yeah, I keep getting married. But because I was like, I don't want to f*** this up again. This this actually seems like how it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And, and so I did all the steps on the third time. <laughs> Were you scared, though, that, oh, my God, I'm going to get married and then I'm going to screw this all up once I get married? Or were you really confident that, nope, this one is different? No, because he he's my best friend. Who doesn't uh-huh. want to marry their best friend? I know. I mean, I, I, and I, I told him several times, had I not been married twice before, I would have jumped into this. No problem. Like, I know this is right. But I was like, dude, a third time? <laughs> really, Mandy? <laughs> well, again, third time is the charm, <laughs> right? It, well, it is okay. for me. Jesus. <laughs> okay, so what the hell with the nudist colony? Okay. <laughs> I want to know at what point you just decided that, hey, I should make a documentary about naked people. Okay. This this is good. Okay. So you can understand this, Tracy, because you are an empty nester. So, right. you know, when you're at an age where you don't have any kids left in the house and you still are a really curious person, you can move and do whatever you want because you're not tied to an area for a school district or any of those things, mm-hmm. right? So... I grew up in Portland, Oregon, and uh, my my German grandpa had 40 acres off the Oregon coast that we would go to every weekend as a kid, which is probably one of the things that got me out of trouble because we'd go down there and ride dirt bikes and ride horses and all these things. My grandpa had dough. Growing up, my family did not. So there is a distinction there. It was interesting. So I, I living in a forest, um, <laughs> the nudist colony is in a forest. So yeah, that all seemed normal to me. Not the nudist part, but like the living in the woods part. So, but I'm like, what curious person who likes to write and likes to gather stories is not going to want to do that, right? So the nudist, it's it's like one of the most interesting stories in the entire world. So stay with me for a second. So the nudist colony sits in the middle of a 40-acre stewardship forest. And like you said, the locals call it the Issaquah Alps. It's insanely gorgeous up there. Wait, what's it called? What do the locals call it? The Issaquah Alps. The Crop Alps? Issaquah. 
Alps. Oh, Issaquah, you're giving me the name. <laughs> okay, <laughs> got it. Yeah. And then the nudist colony is technically a 501c7 nonprofit social club. Now you can see why I was like super intrigued because I was like, what the f***? <laughs> I have to know more. So a 501c7 is a nonprofit social club organized for pleasure, recreation, and other similar purposes. So it's like a, a yacht club. Okay. Without so the yachts. Yeah, it's without pants. <laughs> so no, it's no you, pants. <laughs> so if you wanted to gather a bunch of your friends and pool your money to live off of 40 acres and not have to put on pants to take out garbage, you too could live this life. <laughs> So, okay. so many people have a dream of running off to the woods and being left alone, which is great, but it's work. And I think that's what gets missed in the dream of living in the woods. And we were pretty much weekend warrioring every weekend because there was so much work to do. And it can be isolating and you can't just walk out your door and ride your bike to the coffee shop. So long term, it was not for me, but it is obviously an experience I can't or ever will forget. I also had... 15,000 acres of state forest in my backyard that I could hike on without pants. And I saw <laughs> bears, deer, we had woodpeckers, there was owls, there was tons of bunnies. One of the coolest things we did was we'd have a weekly bonfire with the neighbors and we'd eat edibles and get high and shoot the and watch the planes line up to land at SeaTac. And the stars in the sky were incredible. So, I mean... You could get all of your neighbors together and just walk down to the bonfire because we basically, it's 40 acres total, but we basically lived on five acres. And so you don't have to drive and there's, you're in the middle of the woods. I mean, it was amazing. So you have all this beautiful nature, you have community, but did you want that community? Were these ultimately your people? And is okay, that what uh, the whole documentary is about? Because we haven't, it's not released yet, right? Right. My biggest takeaway from the experience is that I do like running around naked. And skinny dipping is incredibly freeing. And being socially naked with others is actually incredibly powerful. And I've found that I enjoy that more in a hot springs environment. Because that is only empowering if you feel safe. And nudist colonies are an entirely different story. It was like one giant SNL skit that took place on the set of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. <laughs> and I had a front row seat to the show every day. <laughs> so RV living is fascinating because you're in this tin box. But everywhere you, it's, I mean, it's like 250 square feet and there's windows everywhere. And somehow we ended up with the best spot in the place. So I had a 360 degree view of everything that happened on that property every day. And it was so absurd that it got to the point where I was like, we have to get out of here. You cannot stay in the insane asylum and not become insane. You know, there's <laughs> like a point where I'm like, this is, we're getting close. Like, we've got to get out of here. But the story kept unfolding. <laughs> so, so you felt like you were in the middle of a novel and you just had to see how it was going to end? Yes, but I was like losing my mind because, oh my God. But I mean, some of the fun things, like there was a, a roof that needed fixing next to the pool. And so, and I had a direct view to all of that. So on top of the building that's next to the pool, three completely naked men over the age of 55 years old wearing nothing but boots, socks, and a tool belt. Because the one thing that nudists love to do is any kind of work outside. Because they can be naked. <laughs> okay. And it's just fascinating. There's, I don't know how many times one of my neighbors would get on the lawnmower to, to mow and he'd be drunk. And so he'd flip the lawnmower. Um, somebody got the lawnmower stuck in a like waterlogged area of the grass. And so I'm looking out my front door and I'm watching this like four by four try to tow the, the lawnmower out of the grass. I mean, it was... <laughs> 
to mention, everyone's running around naked. And like my best friends at the park were, they were both 73. They were men. And that's the same age as my dad. So it doesn't surprise me that like my besties were, you know, basically my dad's age. Mm -hmm. But the cool thing is like I'd come out my front door and they'd walk by and we'd both have our cup of coffee in the morning and say good morning and pet the dogs and ask how each other's doing and then they'd be on their way. That's cool. (laughs) It's absolutely absurd. But it's like, yeah, and half the time, because it's in Washington State, so it's not warm. So half the time we were just all running around with like a shirt and no pants on because we were cold. And the garbage was always taken out because they didn't have to put pants on to do it. Hey, everyone. It's Grace, Tracy's weird podcast producer. And Kristen, Grace's weird childhood friend. Are you tired of hearing incredible, inspirational women speak? Ugh. Is your brain stuck to the brim with ADHD knowledge? And now you're ready to just kick back to the ramblings of two ADHD women who should probably have their shit together, but don't. If you learn that you are ADHD and then realize the majority of your friends and family are neurodivergent too, or if you long for your own community of fellow weirdos, come check out our podcast, Weirds of a Feather, where we value learning, but we also value getting downright silly. In what many have referred to as the Puppy Bowl to Tracy's Super Bowl, this podcast will take you on a journey through the beautiful, chaotic experience of life with ADHD. Weekly episodes are jam-packed with an ever-rotating schedule of segments such as ADHD Learning Corner, Hobby Collectors, Little Accomplishments, and a leading favorite, I'm So Quirky. If you're looking for a unique ADHD podcast that encourages you to embrace your weirdness, this is the one. Check out Weirds of a Feather today wherever you listen to podcasts. So at what point did you say, I'm going to make a documentary? Okay, so I wrote about it the whole time because I've always kept a diary. And back to before um, before Tracy pressed record, um, <laughs> you were telling me about your friend who had gone through her daughter's stuff from grade school and then how it was there her whole life, what she was supposed to do. So when she was seven. When, yeah, in kindergarten. Yeah. No, when she was in kindergarten, so five. Oh, my God. So when, because we just moved down to California from, from the colony. And so I, I had all my stuff that I was going through and I have all these diaries. I've always kept a diary. And so throughout that whole stay, I'd, I had kept a diary and I, I had started documenting everything because having been in marketing for so long, I, how can you not be in marketing and not have heard Gary Vee say a million times, document, don't create. So I was like, well, this is this is going to be interesting. Plus, like, we move there and then a global pandemic happens. So I'm like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm in a nudist colony during lockdown. Like, wow. Obviously, I have to document this and write about it. So <laughs> it got so weird towards the end, which you'll see if you watch the documentary, that I was like, I, I have to put an entire documentary together about my stay here because this is so crazy. and. I did that. And then I was like, I don't, I don't feel like that truly told the story. So then I made a trailer out of it, which is also like an award-winning trailer. It's being shown up in uh, Portland in a month. It's just like a seven-minute trailer, which you can actually watch on YouTube if you go to um, if you go to escapefromtigermountain.com, it will send you to the trailer. So, so then I make this trailer, which I think is better than the than the documentary. And then I'm like, still feel like that doesn't totally tell the story. So then I, so then I read a book <laughs> from wow. my diary and I was still like, did I get it all? Yeah. It, just, it was bizarre and absurd and just fascinating. I mean, and I, I'll have that story to tell at bonfires for the rest of my life. <laughs> So, I bet. So do you know if the residents of the Nunes Colony knew that you were making this documentary? So that's the interesting thing. They all knew I had a YouTube channel. Well, not all of them. I, I can only speak to my two buddies. Mm-hmm. So my my best buddy, who was actually my neighbor, just like right up from me, he would always joke about Peyton Place and how Tiger Mountain Family Nudist Park 
was a lot like hate in place. And I'm too old to have watched that, but I understand what he was getting at. And I mean, you're too young. Oh, did I say old? Yeah. <laughs> too young. Yes. Yeah, Sorry. you're too young. <laughs> I'm getting lost That's in my even before now. my time. <laughs> So uh, what Peyton Place was just about a bunch of people swapping husbands and wives caught in um in a place. No, what is the word I'm looking for? It's not in the city. They're in the in the suburbs. Oh, I, I've never seen it. I didn't know what it was about. Well, I ended up Googling it. Uh-huh. Because I was like, is he trying to tell me to write the book or does he already know I'm working on it? Because he's not stupid. Like we were we were really good friends. We talk a lot. But so I was like, either he knows I'm writing it or he knows I'm capable of it. And so I don't know. I don't actually know. Um, because when you're a member, you're not supposed to do any of that shit. <laughs> but I'm not so a are, member. I'm not a member anymore. Okay. Uh, you know, so, and I don't say anybody's name. But, yeah, I was like, how could I not? Like, I never wanted to own a salon, but when it got to the point that the salon I loved working at was being sold. I was like, I have to buy this. I know th this is what I'm supposed to do. I just know. I just know. And, you know, I ended up there and I was like, oh, clearly I have content. I mean, now I'm working on a screenplay because I'm like, why would I stop? There's enough content for that. <laughs> yeah. Why would you start? So that leads me to the question, the big one. Did you know how to do what you do? You are completely self-taught. <laughs> and I have to tell you, you know, I was watching that trailer and I am just in awe of the filming, the writing, how you name things, the way you use words, friggin' the music. You are so good around <laughs> music. How do you know how to do this? I didn't. I I didn't even. Okay, so for, for the trailer, I put the entire documentary together and then I Googled, like, how to write a screenplay. Oh, my gosh. I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. That being said, you and I were in a marketing um, mastermind where they talked about, oh God, what is the book? Uh, building a brand story. Oh, building story a story brand. brand. Yeah. And so I, I was like, oh yeah. Okay. So I, I generally had an idea of how to do the documentary because the whole thing is about like, you introduce the characters and then there's some turmoil and then everything's great. I'm totally just dumbing that down. Um, it wasn't really great because I'm this. The trailer felt like a scary murder mystery. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, it had to really explain what you will see in the documentary because I show a lot of stuff in the documentary that I don't actually explain. Because mm. it was my it was my first effort, right? Yeah. So I just I hated school as a kid, and it's because I am a visual learner, and I think that's why hairdressing really became was easy for me to learn because I'm a visual learner so I just either google what I'm trying to learn or I watch videos but to be more clear about the answer I in high school the high school I went to you had you picked majors which hmm. is another reason I think I failed at college because I had already basically been to two years of college in high school because it was a magnet school it was a tech school it's you chose you chose your major so I I was actually a high achiever. I, I chose journalism and the, the DJ, the radio DJ station. So I double majored. Like, who double majors in high school? Well, it was mm -hmm. a tech school. So it was all stuff I was interested in. So my love of music has been honed since I was a kid. Um, my story writing skills. So when I was a hairstylist, for whatever reason, I thought that I had to go out and get into trouble over the weekend. So that I had a good story to entertain my clients with when they came in to get their hair done. Oh, my God, Mandy. Okay, you need to stop <laughs> right there. What the hell? I, I can completely relate to not getting into trouble. But my whole life has been about wanting to do things so that there'll be a story, right? Like, I proposed to my husband and, you know, my, you know, getting, you know, like, I remember, you know, when I was doing real estate. I was a broker, but I hated like luxury real estate. What I loved was the REOs because they sent me to, you know, places that were often dangerous. I got attacked, you know, not attacked, but jumped at by pit bulls, vicious, unneutered camels. Like I had to make citizens arrest. Like it was always about the cocktail party story. And I've never that's heard anybody a, say that. Oh, well, that's a lot of dopamine you're getting too, right? Totally. Ris risky things. Yeah, but ultimately, it's because I feel like, I'll, you know, we don't have a sense of time, most of us. And so 
time goes by so fast. And so you're trying to mark the time and you want to make sure that your life has these stories to mark the time to, you know, remember like you were here and why you were here and blah, blah, blah. Oh, that's fascinating because I always thought that it was probably because I'm actually more introverted than I ever realized. Mm. And so I hate small talk. I'm terrible with it. And when you and when you do hair, oh my gosh, yeah. So I'm like, so yeah, I would get into conversations with my clients and very easily. And I'd show up at parties. People that didn't even know me would come and just start spilling their life story to me. And I often wonder if like I would find something to talk about so I wouldn't have to talk about something mundane. Totally. Totally. I mean, I could see, I think I'd be really good at hair too, because I, I'm really good at the visual stuff, aesthetics, all of that. But yeah. when I like just sitting in that chair and especially now that I'm like older and, you know, have to have my hair dyed, which I didn't have to do up until very recently. I'm just like, I can barely sit in that chair and I have a wonderful stylist. He's, you know, but it's just so boring. And I, I look at his job and I think I can't even imagine having to do that and having me in the seat over and over again. There's so many things like I would turn my clients so they didn't look in the mirror because who the f- wants to sit there for an hour and a half and look at them getting foils? You, you look like shit. Right. So I t- turn them so that they don't have to look at it. If they're not someone that picks up a bunch of magazines, which, dude, I mean, obviously it's a win if the person picks up magazines to read or has something because it's like, oh, I can, I can take a rest too. But yeah, and that's what I, I had the same like 300 clients for almost two decades. So you're correct. Like, how do you keep having those same people in your chair without it? And they keep telling the same story over and over and over again. Yeah. So I just, I guess I just made it my comedy platform and um, entertain them. Yeah. And then I also got really quick at doing hair because nobody wants to sit there for two hours. They've got shit to do. So I was really quick. I was really good. I was entertaining. And because I, once the internet blew up, I started learning all these things. I've been a marketer for like 25 years and I've never actually had a job in marketing, but I'm probably one of the best marketers ever because I'm always practicing. Yeah. And so I had a ton of clients that would come in who were like female entrepreneurs that we would go through their marketing the entire time they were getting their hair colored. (laughs) And I would make, make their marketing plans for them. I was very, hmm. I was, I was a big value to people. <laughs> well, and the thing too is if you've got the right people in your chair, especially if you're in Portland, right, where there's all these creatives, it's an opportunity for you too to bounce ideas and, you know, off of them and kind of, you know, if it's someone really good and get that exchange back and forth. So you're actually learning something. Yeah. And I think that's another reason why. So there's two times when I fell on my fucking ass. First time was college. Second time was when I moved to Seattle. And my entire network was in Portland. And I I had amassed, I was really ruthless about who I would allow to sit in my chair. Like I, once I figured out how to build a clientele and then how to get the undesirable clients out, because that's your energy. You You cannot do... It is not sustainable to do a job like that if you have a bunch of energy-sucking clients, no matter how much they pay you. Oh. So, yeah, I had this phenomenal network of women that would come and sit in my chair, and we'd cheerlead each other on. Like, one of my clients had the top job at Adidas, and I didn't even realize that. She was so f- cool. I, like, never asked her what her job was, and then I found out, and I was like, oh, my God, that's a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, yeah, I had this incredibly supportive team of clients I had you know a business I had all the things and then I after my divorce I was like I I gotta just start over this is not sustainable and so we moved to I moved to Seattle with the mayor who is not a mayor anymore but um and I lost all of that and I I went through another one of those depressed I Mm. feel like I cried for like four years straight oh jeez and he still stayed with you I know. Like, what the f*** is wrong with you? I must be really fun. (laughs) Right. You're a fraud. You were fun. Yeah, what the hell? (laughs) So, yeah. um, And Seattle was not the place for me. 
but I would have never been able to do a documentary or write a book, which I've written two now, had I not been stuck in the side of a mountain for almost three years, you know, feeling uninspired. And I sent a newsletter out yesterday that, that said that, you know, creative people need to be bored. Oh my God, I was bored. So bored. But yeah, you know, I've, I've always wanted to write a book and I did. (laughs) And there's so many, and you know, this Tracy, because you just wrote a book. It's not fucking easy. Oh my God. It's the hardest thing I think I've ever done. Yeah. It's probably much easier for you. I mean, you are just such a strong writer and why I'm now. But Jeremy literally booked himself a stay outside of the house for a weekend when I was finishing it because he's like, I love you, but I can't be around you when you do it. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I totally understand that. I can't be around him either right now. What? But it's like when you're going for that goal that you've had for so long and you're right by the finishing point. Yeah, you're an absolute nightmare to be around because it's so important to you that like, you get this thing done. And I think that, I don't well, know and Especially you, but- if you have ADHD, because when you're 90 there, all of a sudden it's just like the bloom is totally off the rose. So it takes so much to complete it. Oh, I, I do drugs, Tracy. You go to the pot shop and I know that, I know that you don't do drugs, but I went to the pot well, shop I remember and I you said, had orange soda. I, oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. does that work? Well, yeah, when you're living in a city that's so gray and you can't, like, nothing's inspiring you. Sometimes you just got to get high. But I went to the, I went to the dispensary and I said, I've got a book to finish. What do I need? And he, like, gave me a, a yellow, a green, and a, like, turbo boost. So I, like, I knew how to kind of get started with this one and then move into this one. And I was completely fucking high for three days to finish it. Well, I mean, that works for you. I would be asleep on the couch with like bloodshot red eye. It wouldn't do anything. <laughs> I wish it would do something because then I'd have something in my back pocket. I'd have to go exercise. Is that lame or what? No, <laughs> but there's different kinds of weed. So, you know, some some engage the brain, some put you to sleep. So I want to Mandy, Mandy, we have a dispensary. You know, we live in California. I don't know how many years ago I literally went there and I said, I want to try all of them and see if any of this works. And I came back with a shoebox. I don't even know. It was like a thousand dollars worth of stuff. It was ridiculous. And I tried every single one of them and it did nothing. It did nothing except make me bloodshot, make me eat like a cow. Right. And fall asleep. I'm like, and that's why I didn't, you know, like in high school and like all my friends were, you know, getting stoned and it was just stupid. It just doesn't work for me. Nothing works for my brain except exercise. So it hasn't been that I haven't tried because I was really curious, you know, about, you know, could this do anything? Would it work? It just doesn't for me. And what I want to say is the adolescent brain, don't do this. You know, we're we're old. (laughs) Yeah, I have a whole podcast on weed, cannabis, whatever you want to call it, and uh, the young brain. So I'm always hounding my, my kids because today, you know, kids don't really drink, but they get high and it's just not good for their brain, their young brain. No, but we're older, so we can do whatever we want. <laughs> we and we're in smashed. California. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so that is how you were just able to power through it. Yeah. Um, I'm much, I feel like I'm so much better at, so one of the things that has created success for me and probably for you is mastering repetitious boredom. Yeah. And that was repetitive. That felt like repetitious boredom because I was so tired of talking about the nudist colony at that point, but I was like, I have to get this done. And it's so f- interesting. And like, who doesn't want to read that book? I, I want to read that book. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I mean, even so, like we've talked about how important having structure is. And I think habits are really important. And, you know, for me, having a really good playlist helps me get stuff done. So yeah. between drugs and a really good playlist <laughs> and... We love music. 
these are all the things that are in the charisma myth too. Like if you're doing something that you don't want to do, whether it's dishes or meet somebody for something, put on a playlist to get pumped. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, and just repetitious boredom. You, it's it's a part of life. Dishes are a part of fucking life. I hate doing them, but I love okay, cooking. So, so what did you do? What was the workaround to deal with the repetitious boredom? How did you train your brain to learn how to do it? I don't think it's actually training my brain. I think it's my experience with playing sports. And I'm going to throw a Beyonce quote at you. And that is, she said, that's why people don't like to rehearse. You've got to be humble. You've got to be willing to look awkward. And you've got to study and be a student. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we are lifelong students of ourselves and of our ADHD and what works for us. So my brain obviously is going to be like, you have to do the dishes. But in practicing, knowing that there are things I need to do to get those things done or what I need to do, whether it's like, I'm not motivated to do this, I'm going to put on a playlist. I'm not motivated to do this. I'm going to take a focus weed pill. And just knowing that, like, you just have to do it. It's like parenting yourself. But, you know, you have to get to it. For me, I had to get to a certain age where it was just like, um, is the juice going to be worth the squeeze? Yeah, you, you have to do it. <laughs> you really have a choice, you know? And it's... So how do you do it? You just tell yourself, okay, you only have to do it for five minutes. And then once you start, then you're doing it. And you can do it for however long you need to. Or... What is the strategy? Routine. 100% oh. routine. What does that look like? Honestly, it looks like a yellow note where every day I project manage my life. And so one of the books I read was The One Thing, which is, you know, what one thing do you do every day to get to your goal? Well, what there's several one things you have to do to stay mentally healthy when you're neuro, neuro Jesus Christ, neurodivergent. <laughs> <laughs> and that is, and you would agree with me, I have to get up. When I get up, I need to see some sun. I need to work out. Mm -hmm. If I work out, you know, towards the beginning of the day, I'm usually much more effective. But if not, sometimes I have to get worked out and then work out later in the day. But there are things that I have to do every day to get done. And, you know, it's just, a lot of it's just adulting. And I grew up with a mom that was the You've created I, a system and you have changed your brain so that yeah. you just know when you wake up in the morning, it's probably, you know, related to your circadian clock, all of that. You know, you get out, you get up, you go outside for a few minutes of sun, you work out, like all of those things then lead you to kind of start the engine running. Yes. I've changed my eating. The things that have changed are, yes, going doing a deep dive on how my brain works. But then within that, knowing that what I eat really matters. And I know yeah. that so many people with ADHD have a hard time nourishing themselves. I did for years. And, and then a lot of people during the pandemic were able to start taking up cooking or baking or whatever. And I got really into anti-inflammatory eating, yep, which keeps me consistent. And it's not as scary as you think it is because... What does that mean? What is anti-inflammatory eating? So, I mean, to at its easiest thing, it's no meat, no dairy, no sugar. And most people would probably say no fun. But it is fun because you can you eat sourdough. You can, yeah, I feel amazing. My knee pain has gone away. Um, there's plenty of ways to eat that don't include those things. And the thing that happens, because I'm very much of the like, try it out for three months. If you don't like it, get rid of it, whatever. Well, what happened was we'd, we'd go and eat, eat out for something that like we hadn't eaten out in a while and we'd get sick. Mm -hmm. So my acid reflux would come back. And I'm getting to an age where I, I really use food as medicine. I, like I don't drink anymore because I just, it's too much. There, I had to take out all of these factors in my life that were with my day and, and how my body could handle the stress of my brain, um, being so hyperactive. Right. And yeah. like, so I just took all this poison out of my body that I didn't really realize was poison until I did it. Right. And then the other thing is 
it, it's so stupid. Eating well, going for a walk, and going to bed on time. I mean, <laughs> it does. I take a melatonin and a magnesium every night at 8 p.m. I wake up every morning by about 6. I'm ready to go. I've had a good night of sleep. Last night, I tried taping my mouth shut. I will try almost anything. I like the breathing and, thing. Yeah, because I was yeah. like, I was like, oh, I'll give it a shot, whatever. And I woke up this morning and Jeremy's like, I slept so well last night. That was the first night you haven't snored. And I was like, oh, I'm changing lives over here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I treat, I now treat my ADHD as a 20 hour a week job. I meal plan, which I hated, but repetitious boredom. I was like, I have to power through these so that I can get to where I want to be. Um, so well, and dopamine every day is how good you feel, right? So that allows you to continue doing what you're doing because when you're not eating all that crap, your focus is better, your mood is better. It, it's yes. crazy how it works. I completely agree with you, and I fought it. Like I can't, and I think it's also as we get older, I can't drink anymore either. Like even one cocktail, and I just don't feel good the next day. No. And then like, I can't get the shit done that I'm excited to do. So like, mm. what's the point of that? <laughs> I yeah. finally have something I'm excited to work on. And then I'm going to just like be lethargic about it. No, I, I want to be stoked on this. I want my body to be able to keep up with my mind. Absolutely. So what is it about you and your ADHD that makes you good at what you do? Oh, I think the hyperfixation and it feels like a missile. Like when you take it and point it towards something, it's going to blow up either in a disaster or a really good way. <laughs> and I, I joke that like the reason that I made the documentary is because I was hyper fixating on the fact of how poorly I was treated by the board members when I worked there or when I worked there, when I lived there. Okay. And, like, I was so angry at how they treated me that I created a documentary that is shown globally so that the world knows just how terrible they were to be. I love it. So it's like, you can take that hyperfixation and use it for good or yeah. bad or petty. Um, right. <laughs> you kind of still been beating yourself up inside because what you did is you externalized it. <laughs> yeah, I was like... I, I need to create art out of this. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But I think that's, I think that's everyone with ADHD, mm -hmm. their, their success trait. And yeah, I mean, you can hyper fixate on the wrong man or the wrong partner or, you know, it's just knowing, getting to the point, like I said, you have the keys to a Jaguar brain. Would you feed it, let it, or un unleaded or leaded, leaded gasoline? Or would you feed it supreme? And all of those things go into how you can take that hyperfixation and use it for the best thing possible. I love it. So, Mandy, where can people find you if they want to know more about you, your documentary, what you do? We're going to put all this in our show notes, but why don't you tell us right here, right now? Okay, so I basically have <laughs> I basically have a weekly reality TV show, which you can find at www.themandy.show. And I also have a really fun Substack newsletter at mandyfans.com. But my favorite thing that I've been working on is that when we lived at the nudist colony, my hyperfixation became cooking. And obviously living on the side of a mountain in an RV cooking, we were cooking over open fire, which was totally new to me. It felt really Boy Scout-like. I mean, mm -hmm. so I, it became really calming and meditative and it kept my hands busy from being addicted to my phone. And so I realized that as annoying as it was trying to learn how to cook, it was really good for me. And when we moved to Northern California, I started making meal plans so that I could I just wanted to find like 10 recipes that I like to eat that didn't make me sick or feel like shit. But what happened was I ended up testing three months worth of recipes. And out of that, 
And uh, I created a 12-week meal planning guide of anti-inflammatory recipes that are quick and tasty and easy because if it's not tasty, I'm not going to eat it. And if it's not quick and easy, I'm not going to make it because I'm still me. Oh, I know. You know? (laughs) And so many neurodivergent people just eat the same thing on rotate. And I do it too because what has happened is now I pretty much keep rotating like my 10 favorite recipes. But I feel like what I have learned is that for most people, meal planning is a total pain in the ass. And trying to eat healthy is a pain in the ass. And so I feel like I did all of the work. So I wanted to offer your listeners my meal plans. So there are 12 weeks of meal plans and they're usually $27, but I will give them to your listeners for 17 And you can print them as a spiral bound meal planner or just download and print them out loose if you just like want to go through the recipes or you can literally just read the recipes from your phone. So it's like something for every type of learner or every type of cook, right? What's the URL? It's mandysmealplans.com. Mandy's meal plans, plans or plan? Plans. Oh, with an S. Okay. We will have it in the show notes. Mandy, thank you so much for spending time with us here today. This was super fun. I appreciate I love you. you. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Okay, so that's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Mandy, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. Before I go, don't forget to check out my live coaching program, Your ADHD Brain is A-OK. Remember, it also includes a private community of women just like you. You can find out more information at tracyoutsuka.com forward slash A-OK. And if you sign up right now with the code PODCASTSASS, S-A-S-S, you'll get $500 off just for being a podcast listener. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.